imagine <clears throat> imagine that you took a a uh, took a, a a trip to your friendly neighborhood doctor and you met with your doctor <clears throat> and you received some news that you were hoping not to receive you received a lethal diagnosis that there's something wrong with you and if you don't do something about it you will surely die so the doctor prescribes you a pill to take you need to take this medicine every night without fail or you will die would you forget it would you oops I forgot to take my medicine tonight would you neglect it oh you know the doctor said such and such but will I really die would you avoid it would you be afraid of it no because it's so important you would take that medicine every day without fail for the rest of your life to keep from dying from that diagnosis that you received that my friends is how important prayer is that is how important prayer is in fact the prayer is so important that it was the only thing Jesus's disciples asked him to teach them they asked him many questions without fail there are many questions recorded in the Gospels but the only time the the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something was to to teach them about prayer they had observed Jesus example of prayer and throughout the New Testament throughout the Gospels you will find examples of him um, going to a secret place to pray going up onto the mountain and praying all night before he chose his disciples um, it was his pattern and habit to go alone with God and pray it was his habit to allow the children to come to him so he could pray for them and then in his final uh, hours the final days of his life he went into a garden to pray over and over again they watched him pray they watched him pray and they said Lord teach us to pray we see how it's how much how important it is but we don't know how to pray are you like that you feel like that ever you feel like I've been praying a long time um, but I don't really know how or maybe you are thinking I really haven't prayed much at all and it would sure be nice to know how to pray Jesus didn't leave us hanging he actually taught us how to pray and we find that in the, the Gospel of Matthew Matthew chapter 6 
So would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin uh, looking at verse 7, but we're going to zone in on uh, verses 9 to 13 together today. So Matthew chapter 6, and this passage right here, I couldn't think of a, a better passage to start off a series on the subject of prayer than this one right here, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. It's not the real Lord's Prayer, which was John 17, and you can, you can find that in our message archives if you want to go back and listen to some messages on John 17. But this is the one the church has called the Lord's Prayer for ages and ages. And so we're going to begin this series on prayer today and throughout the rest of the summer. We're going to look at various passages of scriptures in the Old and New Testament to learn something about prayer. And I hope it will encourage you. I hope you will stick with us. I hope you will listen to the messages. I hope you will share them. And um, I hope you will respond and ask your questions about prayer too so that we can address those throughout the series as well. But follow with me now. As I read aloud from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you will guide us uh, now throughout the rest of this time that we have this morning to look at these verses. Uh, teach us. Help us to see what you would have us to see, God. Help us to know what we would have us to know. Give us a, 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 a burning desire. Um, kindle that, that desire in us today to pray, to see the importance of it, to, to take the teaching that we have from Jesus here and to put it into practice uh, how to pray. We love you, God. We love what you are doing in us and through us. We uh, desire uh, what you have for us, your will, your kingdom, to, to, be co to come in our lives to uh, answer all of our prayers and all of our needs according to your, your will, according to your glory, according to the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I want to show you two aspects of prayer today. I, I think if we want to know how to pray, we, we need to know something about prayer. So Jesus not only says, pray like this, um, or, or so, or uh, in this way, pray, 
Um, he's not only telling us how to pray and even maybe what words to use to pray, but he's telling us something about prayer, what it is and what it means. And so I want us to look at two aspects of prayer, two distinct um, uh, uh, sides of prayer, uh, if you will, maybe sides of the same co of, a, of the same coin, or maybe you can sense the tension between these two um, aspects of prayer. Um, and then, as we do that, I, I hope that we'll learn something about how to go to God in prayer. Number one, prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communion with God, and. I'm going to talk about what communion is, but before I get to that, I want to, I want to point out the words that are used. We see it in the very first phrase, our Father in heaven. And so I want to emphasize the word our, because this communion with God is experienced according to God's, or according to Jesus' teaching here, it's experienced together. So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, it is an example for us of going into our rooms in private and shutting the door and praying to our Father who is in secret and our Father who is in secret will reward us. Jesus taught about that. But here he's saying this is a community event. This is a communal prayer. This is body prayer. This is when you gather together. Pray like this. And so this prayer is communion with God. It is all of us communing with God. We use the word communion to describe oftentimes the Lord's Supper. We talk about it as communion, where we come to the table, we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember His body broken, His blood shed for us. We do that together in remembrance of Him. But, but this communion means a lot more than just an event. And it means a lot more than just one day on Sunday. Communion is communion with God is about our relating with Him. It's about our experiencing Him. It's about a true response to what He has revealed to us. A true response. We respond to Him because He revealed His glory to us. We respond to Him because He has saved us by His grace and the Holy Spirit has regenerated our hearts and caused us to be born again into a living hope. Uh, we, we respond to Him in what He has revealed to us in His Word. And that's why Psalm 63 and the rest of the Psalms, 150 of them, are such beautiful examples to us, not of, not of song lyrics, but of prayers to God. We go to the Psalms and we go to Scripture to learn what God has revealed to us and we pray them, in, uh, we, we pray them to Him. We respond to Him in prayer. And that's really what communion is. We must respond to what He's revealed to us in order to experience Him. That's why He's revealed Himself to us. We often will, will spend a lot of time uh, studying God's Word. We'll read it, we'll study it, we'll talk about it. In fact, every Sunday, 
I, I preach based on what I have studied. I'm studying God's Word. I'm looking at these words. I'm looking at their references. I'm looking how they relate to the whole story of God. And, and I'm studying it, and then I'm teaching them to you. And we're talking about truths and, and doctrine and this, this really intimidating word called theology. And we, we learn all of these facts and all these truths, but sometimes we don't really experience them. We don't really know what they're all about. Communion with God is a true response to what he has revealed of himself, his glory that he's revealed. Keller put it this way. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, said this, I was meant... This is something that he discovered after going back and reading some of his great theology textbooks. He said, I was meant to ask the Holy Spirit to help me experience my theology. See, the theology, the learn, the knowledge, the facts, the, the, the categories of the Bible and, and of who God is and what He's done in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and us and sin and, and our salvation and angels and demons and the future and our sin and the rest of it. All of those things are good to know, but what we find in prayer is that we experience theology. We experience what we're learning. We experience who God is. And so that's how, God, that's how Jesus starts His prayer. Our Father in Heaven, He directs the prayer. He says, this is how you pray. You pray to our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. He is in Heaven. He is awesome and He's glorious. And then we ask this of Him. Let your name be hallowed. Okay, that's not how my that's not how my translation puts it. Hallowed be your name, or the King James Version, hallowed be thy name, right? We 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 probably recognize that phrase. What he's saying is not a statement of fact. What Jesus is praying is not a statement of fact. Your name is holy. No, he's stating he's actually stating a request a prayer to God, he's saying, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be reverenced. Let your name be made holy so that we will experience who you are, how great and how awesome you are. We want to experience that. We want to know how holy your name is in our own lives. We want your name to be reverenced in the lives of other people. We want your name to be made holy. We praise things. We reverence things. We honor things that we love. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about that in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. And John Piper quoted from him. I, I want to read this quote. Um, from C.S. Lewis, he was reflecting on the Psalms and he was, he was concerned about this incessant uh, command of God to praise His name. Why would God command His people to praise Him? That sounds awfully self-centered, God. That sounds awfully um, focused on 
like you sound like a needy God. You, you need us to praise you and tell you how good you are. Imagine if we walked around like that and we said to our children, praise me, honor me, worship me, bow down to me. We would think that person's got a God complex, right? Something like that. So does God have a God complex? Lewis was pondering all of these things. He was disturbed by it. He was very concerned with this, what he saw in the Psalms over and over and over again. Until he realized that praise, <laughs> there's something about praise. And he, well, here's what he said. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor, right? I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. See if, see if any of these um, you know, sound familiar. And, and mind the language. It's a little bit old. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers, praising the countryside. Players, praising their favorite game. Think about things you praise, right? Things you talk about. Things, your favorite movies or books or, or TV shows or people. He's, he goes on, Lewis goes on. My whole, more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do. What indeed we can't help doing above, about everything else we value. In other words, we praise everything. So why would we hold back on our praises to God, who is of supreme value in our lives? He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Mm. Do you believe that? Does that sound true? It rings true to me. It rings very true. Uh, the, reason why, the reason why we praise our spouses or our kids or other things that we love is because we want to. Not because they have to hear it. Well, sometimes they have to hear it, and we want to do that because we forget how valuable they are in our lives. And so we have to remind ourselves of it with praise. But the, the hallowed be your name, the, the call to praise God's name, his, who he is, his character, his qualities, um, is, is innate. It is central to who we are. It is central to us in our prayers. So we praise His name. And then he says, verse 10, Your kingdom come. We pray about or for God's kingdom. In other words, His work in the world, what He's doing, how He is ruling over all things. And just, just, a, just a, a quick word about that. If God was truly ruler over every aspect, every part of your life, how would that change the way you prayed? If God, God's kingdom is His rule and His reign. And so, 
And I can imagine, I don't go back to, go back to the Lion King. Um, go back to Simba and Mufasa sitting on a, on a, on a high uh, cliffside and looking out and, and Simba saying, well, what about that dark place over there? What about that shaded place? What about that place where the light doesn't seem to touch? Mufasa says, you must, you, you must never go there, son. Right? <laughs> and, and Simba doesn't say, well, that's not part of the kingdom. Everything you see that the light touches, you see that's your kingdom. That's what you're going to inherit. Uh, that's what God's kingdom is all about. But there are dark places, places in our lives that we've shut up, that we've closed up, that we've put the police tape on or the caution tape on and we've said, no, you can't go in there. You can't have that. Maybe we are ashamed of that place or maybe we just don't want him messing with it. Oh, now that's a room that has a lot of expensive stuff, God, or a lot of private things that I don't want to be ruined. But what if God was allowed to be God? <laughs> In our lives. And what if we prayed for his kingdom to come in that way? How would that change our prayers? How would that change the way we prayed to God? Well, how would that change the way we, we communed with God? Think about it. God's kingdom to become. And then he says that your will be done. Your will be done, or, or another way to put that is your will to take place. Your will to happen here. The, the verb is, a, is, is, that, is that verb of, of beginnings or of happenings or, or becomings. But in this case, it's your will to take place. Your will to happen on earth as it is in heaven. Or just as it happens in heaven, God, let your will be done here on earth. How would we pray like that? What kind of a prayer is that? That's, that is prayer regarding what he wants, what God wants. You see the relationship there? The, the hallowedness of his name and how, what we're, how we're praying for his name to be hallowed. The, the, his kingdom to come and how we're praying for his rule and reign in our lives and lives of people around us and, and we're praying for his will to be done. You see how those are kind of all related together? It's interesting that he says, pray this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before he gets to prayers about our needs, prayers about our concerns, of, of our daily requirements, he says, pray for God's will to be done. Have you prayed that prayer recently? Does that kind of a prayer precede your request to God? It, 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 you know, we can, we can, I think, overdo it. But when we hear the request... Uh, Please pray because our friends are lost in the woods and we want them to be found. Do we immediately go, oh God, help them be found. Help, do this, do this, this let, let's get this, this and this and this from you, God. Yet we're not praying for his will to be done. Like I said, we, can, we, could, abuse, we could abuse that. And there's no wrong, there, there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, help me. That's about the purest prayer that you can offer. 
But it is interesting and it's very striking to me that Jesus precedes prayers for, for ourselves with this prayer of God's will. How might that change the way we pray? Prayer is communion with God. If our prayers began that way, when we gathered together and we worshiped together, prayers for God's name to be reverenced and hallowed, prayers for God's kingdom to advance and expand in our own hearts and in our lives and our city and pray for God's will to be done all over this earth, just as it is in heaven, how would that change? When we heard the devastation, the news this, this week of not only um, young men um, being killed in, in the, by police officers, but also uh, by the news that five police officers in Dallas were killed by a gunman, um, while, the, while, those, while those men in uniform were out there protecting and serving uh, the population, when you hear those things, we, we're right to say pray. Pray for Dallas. Uh, pray for Orlando. Pray for Paris. We're, we're right to say, to say those things. We're right to pray like that. Are we praying that God's name will be hallowed there? That God's rule and His kingdom will be advanced there. Are we praying for His will to be done there? But God is a good God. God is a good God. He does not ignore our needs. He doesn't stop short. Jesus doesn't stop short. He says in a sense, and reveals to us, excuse me, in a sense, this other aspect of prayer. And that is that prayer is dependence. Dependence on God. Prayer is dependence on God. Um, I'm, I'll go back to um, John Piper again because he so well expresses that kind of prayer what prayer is. And he, he says this in his book, Desiring God. He says, prayer is the essential activity of waiting for God. What does that mean? He was referring to a verse uh, or verses in Isaiah and the Psalms where we're told to wait for God, wait for Him, wait for His counsel. Oh, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, Isaiah 40, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, right? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait, those who wait for Him. What does that mean? Well, he's, this is what he says. Prayer is the essential activity of waiting for God, acknowledging our helplessness and His power, calling upon Him for help, seeking His counsel. That's powerful. That's what prayer is, and that's exactly what Jesus moves on to. Prayer is dependence on God. These kinds of prayers bring God glory because these kinds of prayers allow God to be God in our lives. What good is it for us to be the kind of people who would say, for instance, say to a friend who is, who is helping us, if you are paralyzed, 
Piper has this illustration. If you were a paralyzed man and you couldn't do anything for yourself and you had a friend who loved you so much, who lived with you, took care of all your needs, sat you up, brought you your food, put your glasses on your, on your head, propped up the pillows behind you, and you, and you had a, an, another friend come over to visit, would you not go to your, your helper and say, help me sit up so I can talk to my friend? Would you please bring me my glasses so that I can see him? Would you not ask him for help or would you say, oh, no, ignore the helper. Ignore the helper. He means nothing to me. I can do this on my own. We are paralyzed. We are helpless. We're hopeless. We're dying of a, of a lethal uh, uh, disease. And we need this daily medicine in our lives. And so when we pray to God in dependence on Him, we are declaring to Him that He is glorious. That He is God. Only God can answer these prayers. Only God can deal with the problems in my life. Only God can sustain me. And that's what the first prayer is for. Give us this day our daily bread. This is our sustenance. This is our sustenance, our, our daily needs. What we require day by day by day. How might we bring these requests to God in this way? Well, some people would say, well, you see what Jesus is saying here is he's just saying pray for the basic needs. Don't pray for extravagance. Don't pray for extra stuff. Just pray for the basic daily needs. I don't think he's just saying that. He says to pray for our sustenance, and then he, in the very next verse he says, pray for our forgiveness. That should be on there too. Our forgiveness, and forgive us our debts, he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because, see, we have our daily needs, our sustaining needs, and then there are deeper needs. There are needs that are deeper than physical needs. There are needs for forgiveness. Jesus reveals this to us. The implication is here in this prayer is that we need forgiveness. Every single one of us needs forgiveness. Have you ever felt guilty about something? Have you ever felt like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that or said that? Have you ever felt ashamed? You need forgiveness. Have you ever encountered somebody who never felt guilty about anything? Never felt ashamed about anything? There was no shame. There was no nothing. Well, that's, that's, there's a problem there. There's something going on. Some psychosis going on. Because that's not how normal people feel. Normal people feel regret. Normal people feel shame. Normal people feel guilt. Because it's, it's there in our hearts. It's been there with us. It's in our DNA, passed down to us from our great, 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 inf almost infinitely, grandparents, Adam and Eve. It's been there since the first sin. The need for forgiveness. We pray for daily needs, but then Jesus ups the ante a bit and he says, there's a deeper need than those things. And it's a need for your soul to be forgiven. Then he says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
our victory. Prayer for our victory. Our prayer for our sustenance. Prayer for our forgiveness. Prayer for our ultimate victory. Deliver us from evil is a is well deliver or release us or or give us freedom from the captivity of evil. Um, the the parallel to that, of course, was lead us not into temptation. Um, essentially, uh, may you not lead us into temptation, God. Uh, don't let us go there. Don't let temptations uh, uh, get to us. Um, if possible, God, don't even let me be tempted. In other words, I don't want to be tempted because I know how my heart is that if I'm tempted, I will sin. If I'm tempted, I know I will go down there. Lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Rescue us. Deliver us out of this evil There is a prayer here for not just for forgiveness. We all need for forgiveness, right? But more than that, we would like to not have to ask for forgiveness day after day after day for the same things. And so Jesus says to pray like this. Pray for complete rescue from evil. Pray for Victory. Victory is our ultimate need over sin. Our ultimate need in our lives is victory over sin, victory over temptation. How, how are these prayers for dependence on God? Well, um, we could, and we often do, live our lives expecting uh, our homes to be there tomorrow, expecting our families to be there tomorrow, expecting our jobs to be there tomorrow, expecting food to be in the refrigerator tomorrow or the freezer tomorrow. That's how we live our lives, right? How quickly can those, those be over, though? How quickly can that end? How quickly we've seen it. We've watched it happen. Suddenly, a life is taken from us. Suddenly, a house is burned to the ground. Suddenly, a job is lost. Suddenly, the freezer is left open and all of your food is ruined. And, right? Those things happen all the time. Suddenly, our daily needs become something that we cannot sustain for ourselves. We call upon God for all of the physical needs in our lives because only He can sustain them. He told that to ancient Israel when He said, when you get into the land and you're enjoying everything good and all, everything's wonderful and the harvests are coming in and your storehouses are, are set up and all this is wonderful, don't think to yourself, my own strength, my own intelligence did this. It is I who have given you the ability to make wealth. It is I who have given you the ability to accumulate and to, to meet your needs and to prepare for tomorrow. Don't ever forget it. And so Jesus reminds us of that. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget 
that He is sustaining us. Don't ever forget that we can only have forgiveness through Him, through His grace, what He gives us. Don't ever forget that our ultimate victory over sin, our ultimate victory over temptation is only found in Him. And actually, that's the most essential aspect of our prayer. Because how can we have communion with God if we don't have victory over sin and temptation? How can we even come before the Father, the Heavenly Father, and even request from Him, even present our needs to Him if we have sin in our lives? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can enter into His temple? Only Him who has a pure heart. Him who is righteous in all of His ways. And we find that none of us are. Every one of us are walking in sin. Every one of us are in need of forgiveness. Every one of us are in need, in need of His victory in our lives. But, praise be to God, that's what the writers of the New Testament said. That's what they cried out over and over again. It is through Jesus that we can be reconciled with God. It's through Jesus that we can have communion with Him. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote this. 1 Corinthians 15, let me just read a bit of this. You could jot these verses down from verse 50 to the end of the chapter if you want to look at it later. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What he's saying is, you, in yourself, as a human being, will not see the kingdom of God. You will not be with God. You will not have salvation in who you are. What? Really? What? I thought God loved us all. I thought, I thought, I thought we were going to be with I thought we were His children. No, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Behold, He says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means die and stay dead. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How shall we pray? How shall we pray? We have an example here. A beautiful example here. An example put well in our, in our English Bibles. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How shall we pray 
knowing that prayer is communion with God, that prayer is dependence on God. There's much more to say about prayer. That's why we're going to spend a few weeks looking at what the Bible has to say about prayer. But could we today pray like this? Could we today um, maybe a new, even in this place and, and even in our own private lives and in our own so-called prayer closets um, at home, the, the private places where we pray to God, or maybe that's in your car, or maybe that's in the John, on the John, I don't know. Um, but in those private places, could, could we pray like this? Jesus commands us to. He says, in fact, he doesn't say just pray like this one time. The way he says this is continually pray all the time. Pray like this. Pray every time you pray, whenever you pray, pray like this. May our prayers be prayers of communion with God. May our prayers be prayers of dependence on God in the name of Jesus. Let's pray that way. Heavenly Father, I do pray to you as our God in heaven who, who is glorious and worthy to be prayed to. May your name be reverenced in my life and in others around me. God, may your kingdom come. Let it come into the parts of my life, the areas of my life that I'm prone to hide and keep from you. May your will be done. Father, that's my highest desire, is for your will to be done. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, because you're a good God who keeps his promises, that when we experience your perfect and complete will in our lives, that regardless of the circumstances, we will have joy everlasting. God, I pray that you will sustain us we thank you for everything that you have granted us. And I pray, God, that you will keep us, sustain us through the day in and the day out of our lives. For every physical need, every need that we have, may you answer it according to your will. Be a good, good father to us in that. I pray, God, that you will grant us forgiveness. Oh, we are in need of forgiveness. I pray, God, that you will give us victory. Victory over the sin that we're so easily tempted by. Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in the, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we come into a time of response? And we're going to do something a little bit different. Well, you know, maybe you, you could you could probably sit too if you for a while if you wanted to. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go into a time of prayer. Um, Bill led us in prayer a little little while ago, um, but I want us to pray in response to what God has taught us, what God has revealed to us. Um, you may want to start out if you if you want a voice of prayer, just from your heart. It, it's simple. It's easy. It's 
it's there's no there are no real wrong words to pray. Um, God looks at our heart; He sees our spirit. Um, in fact, when we don't know what to pray, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. So even if our words are halting, if our words seem incomplete, um, that the Holy Spirit is using our prayers and He's translating our hearts to God. And that's okay too. I want us to go into a time of prayer right now. And um, just open the floor up and, and let you pray as, as, as you feel led to pray from your heart. And, uh, and then we'll close our time together um, if you will, with me, um, by actually um, saying the words of the prayer from Matthew 6 together. Um, so let's go into a time of prayer right now. As we close out this time of quietness and prayer, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to ask our, our tech team back there, if they would, um, to put up our passage from Matthew chapter 6 again. And, and, um, and uh, you can follow along there, or if you know this prayer um, by heart, you can, um, you can say it from memory. Or if you have your Bibles, you can follow along there. But um, let's let's say this prayer together um, as an act of of worship to God, beginning there um, and in the middle at the quote where it begins, "Our Father." 
Let's say that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Would you stand with me?